Ciao, I'm Marco. Hello, my name is Eric. And we are Curious by Nature. Coming from different places and having worked in the cultural field for several years, we felt that we were missing a broader context. So we decided to study at the Erasmus University in Rotterdam. We read so many cool things. And also we wrote so many interesting papers ourselves, but we felt disconnected from the real world. Why? <laughs> why is that? I mean, why is there such a big gap between academia on one hand and the practice that we experienced on the other hand? We decided to talk with researchers themselves to find out. How do they experience this bubble and how can we burst it? Let's reconnect academia with everyday life. This is Research in Reach. Everywhere around my house you're going to find like musical references and everything. So it's, that, it's just a huge part of my life. I, I cannot imagine uh, like music not being the most integral part of me. Not just with research, but like with anything else. Hello, Eric. Ciao, Marco. So this is our third episode. And today we will talk with Arya Daga who is doing a PhD at the Department of Arts and Culture Studies. Previously, she did both the pre-master and the master in cultural economics and entrepreneurship, which is the same program that we're doing currently. And her PhD is about informal creative economy in the slum of Taravi in Mumbai. That's right. And the title of one of her papers uh, in her PhD is Straight Out of Mumbai. The Development and Innovation in the Daravi Hip-Hop Subculture. It's really a mouthful. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't get the, the title. Um, you didn't get the, you didn't get the title? It's a, it's a, a wordplay on the Straight Outta Compton, you know? Ah, shit. Sorry, yes. I was wondering, Eric, what would you like to get from this conversation? I guess what strikes me is that she is an Indian PhD candidate from yeah, from India, of course, uh, studying also this Indian phenomenon, but she's in Rotterdam. <laughs> Why? How did she end up here? And I guess also, I don't know anything about this informal economy, let alone the slums of Mumbai. So I guess we would like to know why she's doing this. Uh, yeah, and finally, of course, as with any episode right now, we're really curious about bridging the gap between academia and the real world. So how do you do that with the slums in Mumbai? Mm, I'm always very keen on trying to understand the person behind this research. So how does she communicate this to her family? What her family thinks about this? I don't know, mama and papa. And yeah, and a few days ago, I was thinking how different it is when you're going back to your own native country to look at your native culture with different eyes. So because she was kind of, you know, as you mentioned, an Indian person studying India, an Indian, an in Indian culture in Rotterdam, there is, I feel, something interesting here about culture and about your own culture. And, uh, oh, well, well, of course, because now you mentioned Compton, I just want to listen cool music. Then I guess it would be the goal <laughs> for me. Um, where are we going to meet her? Yeah, so we asked if, if Aria was okay with meeting at her own place and she agreed, so that's really cool. There's lots of space, we take lots of hygiene measures, clean hands, clean everything. 
I guess we're ready, so let's go. Let's go. Can we listen to some music? I would really sure. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Of course. Okay, so I will show you the kids. Really Wait, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna show you the video. Oh, nice. Oh my god, she's so cool. So precious. So you guys wanted to see the, the hip hop artists? Yes. So this is about like injustice um, okay. and the political system, like focusing on the rich. Uh, corruption. Um, corruption uh, okay. and things like that. And then listen to the song, it's just like I'm feeling this, I'm really feeling the energy and that, that changed. It's really good. Something that you would find in every Indian household, every kid growing up uh, has to aspire to be one of the three things. Uh, it's either a doctor, an engineer or a chartered accountant. Uh, so I did, I did one of those things, which was accountancy. But um, yeah, so, so art and culture, I, I never thought of it as something that I would pursue at any point. So I actually have an economics and accountancy background. So I uh, worked in a bank. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I was a risk advisor. So this was what I would do essentially is, is look at the accounts of uh, small and, and medium sized uh, enterprises in UK and assess if they should be given credit or not. So, so I, I have a lot of this, this accountancy background and, and also I did econ in school and everything. What was always missing in my life was actually the arts and culture side of it. And it's, it's, it's fascinating because it's always been a part of me. Like I've grown up in a very creative household. My mom's an artist, my dad, uh, he plays the piano. So it's always been a very musical and then creative household, but it was just never something that I pursued uh, outside of a hobby. So why? I don't know. It's just, I, don't, I, I actually I, do, I think I do know it, it has to do with this Indian mentality. So and then the, I, <laughs> I always find it funny to tell the story, but it was I had this essentially a meltdown in, in, in my 20s, in like early 20s. Uh, I was sitting in the office, like working away on these accounts. And suddenly I was just like, what am I doing with my life? And I just had this like, I almost like went into like a, a meltdown in the middle of the office and I just left and then I disappeared for three days and I went to a, a beach um, in the south of, of uh, Bombay, uh, Goa um, and rediscovered myself <laughs> and, and just sitting there for three days by myself, uh, I learned that this was not something that I wanted to do with my life. And so I was also surrounded by these musicians and the, all these cool people around me. And I'm just like, yeah, this could be something that I could, I could think about. And so the very, the three days after I went back to the bank and I gave my resignation without telling my parents, um, <laughs> went back home. And like, that's when I like started like looking up courses online, because obviously I needed some sort of um, a degree or something to guide me into what I wanted to do. So that's when I found the, the pre-master program. So what did your parents think about that? Very disappointed, actually. My dad was 
quite upset, I remember. It was just like, you're giving away your life. Because the, the idea was that, you know, you work in a bank for a few years and you get an MBA mm -hmm. and then you get cited, you, you get uh, uh, called by all of these bigger companies and then you just, you know, become a manager. No, no, no. There's yeah. like a very clear trajectory to where yeah. your life would go. And so I think my dad had pictured that for me. And I think I had also to a certain extent, but yeah, all of that was sort of shattering in front of my parents' eyes. It is quite a roller coaster, but we didn't even get to the point where she's deciding to do a PhD. Um, so how did she end up being an academic? Well, back up. She did study uh, our program here in Rotterdam. After that, she told us that she worked for some festivals here in the Netherlands, but she couldn't really find what she was looking for. So after a while, I just went back home uh, to India, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And a month later, I get an email from um, uh, Philip from Ireland, who's the former head of department. And he was coming to India for a project that he was doing, but he needed somebody who could speak the language. So would I be willing to assist him in that? So I was like, yeah, of course. And so we ended up going to Bihar. We spent like an entire week meeting all of these artists and it just sparked something in me. Uh, so I would meet all of these people and then learn about their creative processes. And all of these people live in these like extremely underprivileged, poverty-stricken areas, but they're making all of this art. And it's, it's fascinating. So, so we did all of the interviews and on the very last day, Philip was like, what, what do you want to do next? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and then he was like, have you considered maybe, you know, continuing in academia or something? I was like, I did think about doing a PhD, but I don't know how to do it or how to approach it. And he was like, why don't you just come back to the university? I was like, I didn't know there was a possibility, but like, okay, great. So although that was not the intention, I think mostly because I didn't even know that I, I could actually pursue a PhD. I felt like you have to be like a standout student. I was, I was like a 7.8 student. So I was like, I'm average. That's pretty good <laughs> though. I didn't know that, right? Because, because like standards in India are insane. Like if you don't have an eight, you, you just, you're not yeah, that great. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I was just like, okay, uh, I don't think a PhD is an option for me, but then like discussing and talking with Philip about the project, like, okay, so, this is something that I can do. And I think, I think that also needs to be a bit clearer to a lot of people that a lot of people think that PhD is just for like these standout genius minds or whatever. But I think it's really more about your own journey of what it is that makes you excited about something. Right? If you, if you, if you feel passionately for a particular project, you want to learn about something, just go for it. Amen. So then, even though you're not like a standout genius there is still hope for you to do a PhD. So, well, maybe I can actually do a PhD. And you, Eric, would you like to do a PhD? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I guess there's still hope for us, but it doesn't mean we have to, no? <laughs> anyway, so now let's talk a little bit about her research. So what we know at this point is that it's about hip-hop music in a slum in Mumbai, and something called the informal economy. I think before we move on, it's good to have a little bit of an idea what that means. So basically what the informal economy is, it's basically a diversified set of economic activities and people and jobs outside of the authorized or formal economy. So these are all activities that are not regulated or taxed or protected by the state. So all of these activities in the informal economy are happening off the books. 
So I, I am looking at the, the creatives in the informal economy. So Dharavi is the, one of the largest slums in the world. And it's located in the heart of Mumbai. And this is where some of the most creative uh, rappers and hip hoppers in the country are coming from. Uh, so Gali rap is basically, it translates to street rap. Gali is uh, Hindi for street. It's not even the, the, the typical kind of hip-hop music that you would think of. And these are 20, 22-year-old boys with access to nothing. These guys, they have like real issues that they're dealing with, right? Because they're growing up in these parts of the country where they see so much poverty, so much corruption, crime everywhere. And then they grow up in those streets and they, they, they talk about their experiences growing up in the slums, right? Because these people essentially are disconnected from the rest of the city in a lot of ways. They don't have access to the basic resources that you and I have, yeah. right? They don't, they don't have access to uh, strong technology, to marketing, to, to branding, to a- any of the important things that we need to, to put ourselves out there as an artist. So it's so, organic somehow. Absolutely. So these are, like I said, underprivileged, uh, young, um, just completely disenfranchised creators. Right? They're, they're just done with the system, they're done with um, uh, the kind of issues they're facing and so they're putting it all into their words. So how they exist in, within that informal economy. So Dharavi by itself is, 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 is an informal economy. It's that entire place. The location itself is disconnected from the rest of the city. So people who live there, they, it, it's kind of a self-sustaining, thriving, informal ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So they just work amongst themselves. There's a lot of like bartering and there, there's a lot of like things that happen that exist just within Dharavi. So it's a city so, within the city? Pretty much. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful uh, description of that. So so yeah, so all of these creators are also in, in Dharavi. And so what I'm trying to see is how in spite of being disconnected from everything and not having access to enough resources, how it's, it's, it's a self-sustaining subculture that's coming out in, in, in that part and how it's leading to some kind of social, um, cultural and economic change for Dharavi. Mm. Yeah. Now, this is an example of a thriving, self-sustaining, informal activity. Mm-hmm. It's happening off the books. This is not formalized by anyone, but it's sustaining and it's doing all of the things that a creative industry's policy expects from yeah. a particular creative industry. You know, it's, it's creating jobs, it's creating, uh, it's, it's creating creative, content. creative content. So um, uh, there's just like a lot of growth in that particular industry as well. So they're, they're trying to make, um, find ways to formalize the activities. So my point is to not simply formalize all of the activities because I think I think it loses something when it, it gets formalized because um, connecting this this particular industry to to the formal markets would essentially mean that all of these jobs would be eradicated because then the formal jobs will obviously lead to like more and more people coming in from different parts of the country it'll just lead to more jobs these people will just have no options so I think that it exists the way that it does for a reason and it works and how can we how can we look at the informal economy as a complement to the formal economy and not so much as a substitute i 
was just like, I, I had no idea something like this existed. And so I didn't think much of it. But I was just blown away by the creativity. Let's not consider these kids, these creators in, in Dharavi, a problem that needs to be fixed. Nice music, by the way. I really like it. So just to recap, how amazing is it that despite the horrible conditions in these slums, there is such a creative energy that can lead to social transformation? Indeed, after 6 p.m., young people in the slums are exposed to all sorts of criminal activities. And this music is a way for them to keep on the right track. And so, yeah, the conclusion is basically, if I got it right, is that the informal economy basically doesn't have to be considered really a problem. They need to be fixed, um, but rather something that can be valued and appreciated. So moving on, what do the kids from Daravi actually get out of the research? Or what does Arya hope to achieve with her research? I think I want to move the focus from thinking of the people in Dharavi and the things that happen in Dharavi as problems, right? Because that's the, that, that's the category they tend to fall in. Like these are problem areas, we have to fix them and things like that. So I, I hope with my project that I'm able to shed a new light on the people and the activities of Dharavi in that it's working and it's good and it's leading to all sorts of social innovation there, right? So, so in a way, there's, there's like, um, you really see the, the concept of social innovation come to life here. But then who has to read your research? I would like to pitch this to the Ministry of Culture in India. How do you do that? Well, we, we do actually, uh, so my project uh, works in partnership with uh, the school in um, Bombay. So it started out as a, uh, as a larger project between Philip and a professor in, in TIS uh, in Bombay, who are trying to map out the creative industries of India. And so they're working in partnership with the cultural ministry in India. And so we do have these sort of connections that I'm hoping will somehow help me to get to them as well. And then in a more practical sense, yeah. how would you yeah, almost translate your research into something that is a bit more accessible towards someone working at the ministry who might not be an academic, yeah. who might not understand all the rules you previously talked about that yeah. are within this world. Yeah. So I don't know, is that something you think about? Not really. I haven't, I haven't thought of that. Uh, but I do think about uh, my role post this PhD as well. Because especially having met all of these people, and I know I come from a more privileged background than, than all of these people in, in, in Dharavi. So especially having lived there and like hung out with the people there and met so many of these creatives, like the one thing that came to me was there is no direct interface for these people. To, to have a direct contact with their possible a larger group of, of consumers. So like all of it is happening via WhatsApp, like they, they send tracks to each other on WhatsApp and then, you know, or you, not yeah, on YouTube, but not like paid walls, so not like Spotify and things like that. So I'm, I've been thinking about how there could be a way for me to work with people there to sort of create an interface between the creators and a, a, way, a way for them to reach the formal consumers. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, again, this is just brainstorming and like I've yeah, just yeah, thrown yeah. ideas, but I haven't actually thought about how I would make that happen, but it's, 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 in, it's in the pipelines, so. Is it daunting for you? I think so. Mm. Why? 
because again like um, that's a, that's a whole process as well oh, right like but, uh, i mean in every jobs you have you know expectations yeah. and reality but mm-hmm. fuck them i mean well, <laughs> back, uh, sorry for my french but what <laughs> i'm saying is that uh You know, have you already kind of experienced in your career, yeah. all of a sudden you were in a bank uh, yeah. and you were doing things yeah. and uh, they're like, oh no, I don't care. And now you are, not I don't care, but I don't feel connected yeah, yeah. with that. Yeah. And uh, you were able to switch. So clearly you have untapped potential. Yeah. Uh, so fuck the expectation. But that's the thing. Like, I feel like I, I'm still trying to tap into the potential, yeah. you know, like I'm still in the process of actually, even though I've been here three years now, I'm. I feel like I'm, I'm I've still only taken baby steps. So I'm I'm really trying to understand how the the system within academia works is like the the the, the rules of of how one becomes a professor and how one how you get a, a, a an assistant position and things like that. So all of those things I don't know. Like I I I mean that's also something that I think about. Like would I continue on after the PhD? I don't know actually because yeah, it's it's it's, it's not It's not a path that I was expecting to take. So it's not something that I've actually thought out about at But all. that's the beauty. Absolutely. You can just enjoy the ride. The unexplored, absolutely. I agree. <laughs> like, I struggle with discussing the future always. I have no idea what I'm doing tomorrow. In the beginning, we talked with uh, Arya about her parents and how they weren't always convinced about her life choices. Are they convinced that you made the right choice by switching to this PhD? I think over time, again. So everything with my parents takes a lot of time to adjust to. Because I'm, I'm also the, the, the kid who's just like shocking them all the time. Like, I'm doing this now. I've decided to do this now. So, so it's all, it, for them, it's always like a, okay, let's see if she sticks with this. So, um, so I think it would, with time, they've come to see. That. And also because, like I said, my brother's a PhD and his wife's a PhD. So they know that this is a good thing. It took a lot of convincing um, to get them to be on my side. But yeah, now now they couldn't be prouder. So oh. it turned around. <laughs> wow, her life has been like really back and forth, back and forth. And yeah, I'm wondering, every time that I'm going back to Italy, uh, from my own personal experience, I'm always looking at my country with different eyes. Um, I want to know how she feels about Indian culture uh, when she's going back home. Now that she has done all this research. I have actually done a complete 360 on my opinion of India. Because growing up there, all I could see was, I hate everything that happens here and I'm, I'm not happy here and I need to get out of here. So... Um, when I moved to Rotterdam, I was like, I'm never leaving Rotterdam. Like, I'm going to settle here. I'm going to live here and everything. And now what I find every time I go back to my country, I'm always blown away by certain things that I feel like I would have just never paid attention to. Um, even locals, uh, people who live in Mumbai, uh, do not go into Dharavi. Like, I have cousins and family there who've never been to Dharavi. And they've lived in Mumbai their entire lives. Like... The story or the, the myth uh, goes that you're not supposed to be in Dharavi after dark because it's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a labyrinth yeah. in there. It's like tiny lanes and there's no way of like, if you, if you get lost, you're lost. Yeah. Um, it's like tiny houses. And then through the, the different lanes, I'm, I'm hearing like, because all of that, uh, the doors of all of the houses are open and they're tiny shoebox houses, like really, really small. And they're like all lined up there through this really tiny lane, which is completely broken. There's just water there. And they're like bricks that you walk on. And so I'm wow. walking on the bricks and I'm hearing like TV and people yelling and like 
things happening all around me. I wish I could have documented that at that point, but I was just exploring and enjoying that moment. So I just walked through it. Like just, you know, little things, like small things like that. Every time I experience something like that, I'm just like, there's, there's good things in my country too. Living in these privileged areas that we come from, as uh, middle class kids in India, we are also completely disconnected from, from these slums, these people living in the slums. I had no idea the kind of conditions they were living in. We would hear stories from like uh, the newspaper and you know, whatever, like in the movies, there were depictions of Dharavi and in Slumdog Millionaire, you would have seen it. So those were all the ideas that one had of, of these places. But then to, actu to actually experience something like that, I, I think to even be aware, coming from the background that you come from, to be aware of the kind of issues that exist there. You know, you can like draw parallels to everything. Like there's like, just consider the whole Black Lives Matter movement right now, right? There's so much being said about white people and the kind of privilege they live in. So a lot of the times the discussion is they can't empathize because they haven't been in that particular situation. But then that's how you learn, right? You have to learn about it. You have to read about it. You have to experience it or not, not just experience their lives, but actually learn about their experiences, right? And so... That's the kind of parallel that you can draw here as well in that I've lived this privileged life, but I had no idea that something like that existed at all. Like it was never in the, in the sphere of discussion or in, in my social circle, like ever there. And so to experience that and to be aware of something like that, like people living their, leading their lives like that, um, was like the first thing that I took away from this. So clearly your research basically taught you a different way of listening, not a different way to listening to music, but mm -hmm. to discover a new kind of music. Absolutely. And uh, are you still using this kind of tool also to approach different fields of music? Mm, I, I haven't thought of that at all. I think that's a good way to think about it. But I've just been so consumed by like just Indian hip hop at the moment that I haven't thought about any other music genre in the past like six months. But... I think that's actually a really cool way to think about it because that did that did actually happen. Like through the journey of research, you learn about it. You learn. You, I see their YouTube videos and these. They're all like so. They're very homegrown, right? The 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 videos are made with like a borrowed iPad and a cell phone and things like that. So it's all very DIY and it's all happening in the streets of Dharavi and it's so organic. And I think that all of that, like the discovery of something like that existing and coming from my country that I had no idea was there. I think that definitely, I think that discovery was like, I, like you also said, and I was saying earlier as well, that is what led to this whole project coming about because I was like, this needs to be told and then this needs to be discussed and shared about and talked about. And yeah, I think then that's pretty much it. But it's beautiful that maybe I'm speculating here, mm -hmm. but this project somehow, mm -hmm. of course, but uh, it's very much a personal project. You know, you are really discovering yourself yeah. through this PhD. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. Mm -hmm. It feels like a, it's, yeah, it's definitely like a personal journey of, of exploration. I think yeah. that's definitely happening. Through now. music. Through music, yeah. yeah. What a great journey that she had. Daga could be an example for all those people out there that, first of all, think that they are, you know, they're not that great because they don't have an eight. And second of all, that sometimes you don't really know what to do, but then something comes in and you just follow that path. Yeah, I guess we learned that academia can actually be for anyone as long as you can connect to something in academia along the way. So for her, it was really 
not about trying to become a professor, but it was more about trying to follow a certain interest that she yeah. had and being at the right place at the right time, actually. Yeah. And I guess it shows that academia can really help you, yeah, get new perspectives on the things you take for granted, like the city that you come from. And you might find out that you don't actually know the city that you come from that well. Mm-hmm. And I think for her, that's definitely the case with this like slums that she discovered and the organic process of music making there. It can give you literally the space to to dive into something that you're passionate about. So I think Daga's personal journey into academia is actually something we can find in also the previous episodes where everyone in the end is there because of a passion that they are trying to follow. Yeah. I know this sounds very like a fairy tale, but I actually start to see academia as a place for people who want to dive into what they think is interesting. So what can we take from her research? Mm. Well, many points, but academic-wise, I think it's extremely relevant or interesting to see the definition of informal economy and how it can actually live as a self-sustaining ecosystem within uh, like a formal economy. Because if we recall uh, Daravi, which was the slum, that it was self-sufficient in his own economic ecosystem. And all around it, there was a very formal economy, which was Mumbai. So what, what could it be the future direction of it? And what could it be the future direction of Daga as well? What Arya could actually do, um, I don't know, in five years from now? I think her research definitely shows the importance of an informal economy and how it can provide things that formal economies just cannot. Like, it's such an organic process, you cannot try to structure it. It has to be informal in order to be this creative, I think. And I think maybe with her research she can show this and prove it and communicate it to, um, for instance, the Ministry of yeah. Culture. Remember when she was saying that there are some, she has some kind of contact with the Indian Minister of Culture? Yeah. So maybe she will make this happen uh, to try to understand how can you still protect this informal economy but still give also some uh, social security. Yeah. I'm 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 curious if she's able to really make this translation like from her very academic research to to yeah to to be able to use it to convince it people for instance at the ministry a policy report yeah. or some kind of strategy a national strategy for the whole India or even for well Daravi is the biggest slum in the whole world so it's not peanuts What's left is to obviously thank uh, Arya Daga for her time and her inspirational journey through life. Thank you, Hans, once again for the lovely music. Thank you to the listeners. You made it until the third episode. Well done. Uh, Who are we going to talk with next time? Ah, yeah. So next week is the final episode already of our podcast. Oh, no. Or maybe amazing. I don't know. Maybe both. Maybe huh? both. Maybe yeah. a laughter and some tears. <laughs> Next week is special because we're going on a road trip to Leuven, which is in Belgium. Yeah. Because our next guest is living there. Her name is Lisbeth Stroper. And she is studying <laughs> the valuation of Impressionism. 
Exactly. What, what, what is that? I mean, uh, okay, I know a bit of about the impressionist as a, as a movement. Uh-huh. But, um, what? I have so many questions already. What? But yeah, we have to ask this to her. Anyway, next week, Lisbeth Stroper about the valuation of impressionism. Cool. Can't wait. Let us know what you think by leaving a comment or review about this episode wherever you are listening to the podcast. It will help us a lot. Ciao, ciao. Ciao.